I'm not sure who's running the sound up there or the, the, the slides, but I'm going to ask you if you would indulge me. Can we go all the way back to the very beginning of that song we just sang? We make it? So, my message this morning is entitled, it's really focused around the simplicity of the gospel. In the simplicity of the message of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask if y'all would indulge me. You can stay seated if you want to. But I would like for us to try and sing just that first verse in the chorus. Acapella. I will do my best to not embarrass myself as I lead us. Okay? Will y'all join with me? Okay. Blessed assurance. I'll turn that off while I was singing. <laughs> Sorry. If we're not really careful, we can forget that we don't have to have all the things and all the right words and all the right lights and all the right heat and all the right instruments. If we're not careful, we can forget that Jesus is enough that the message of God's word can be simple we can strip away everything else and focus on Christ if you have your Bible we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 13 we've been in Acts for a long time um, today is the last Sunday we will be in Acts for a while uh, beginning next Sunday we will start with our Advent Christmas um, series. Somebody said, what does Advent mean? Because some of y'all don't know. Uh, Advent is a word that means arrival. And it's the time when we celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's just a good church word for Christmas. Um, and uh, uh, out on the front table, there is a copy of this book for every family. Hear what I said, every family. I love y'all. There aren't enough for every one of you. So one family, please. 
if you know somebody that desperately needs it, grab one and send it to them. This is a, a devotional that I've written that we publish right here in-house. A lot of people did a lot of work to make this happen. Uh, we're really excited about it. And our goal with this is that you can use this devotional guide to direct your attention toward Jesus this Christmas season in your household. So I'd encourage you to grab a copy. Uh, we will be giving these out. I didn't get to hear everything Adam said. We'll be giving these out as a part of our outreach effort this afternoon uh, as we invite folks to come and celebrate the holidays with us. We're going to give them these uh, so that hopefully they will join with us. But even if not, we leave a gospel presence in their home. Uh, but we will be working through these together as a, house, as, as a church family. I'll be preaching through this as well. So I'd encourage you, they're out on the front table. Grab one on your way out today. And uh, this, the, the devotions will begin actually next Sunday. So I'd encourage you to do that as we finish up in Acts for a little while and we move in this direction. All right? Anyway, having said all of those things, Acts chapter 13 I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. And I'm going to be honest with you, I forgot, to t I forgot what I told them I was going to read. So let's hope that I read the right things. We're not going to read all these verses this morning. Beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law, the prophets, the, rule, the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people of the city, or for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he began to speak. Then turn over with me. I believe I told them verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was late. So this is, by the way, this is part of the message that Paul gave to all those gathered in the synagogue. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was late with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us understanding of your word this morning. Help us to cling to the simple gospel message that Jesus Christ saves. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One of the great things about being a pastor is the opportunity to study. One of the awesome things is the opportunity to learn and to grow and be educated and, 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 and to get to spend a lot of time. Like a part of my job, I get paid to read books, which is really awesome. It's, it's wonderful. I get paid to study. Now, some of y'all roll your eyes like, man, you'd have to pay me to do that. I would do it for free. So the fact that y'all are willing to gainfully employ me to do these things just thrills my soul. It's like the best thing in the world for me to get to experience. But one of the challenges that comes is that sometimes people believe that you've got to have some certain level of expert experience or expertise or knowledge or learning or understanding before you can be adequately used by Jesus Christ and his kingdom. 
I want you to know this morning, there's a reason that we sang that song a cappella. To remind you that we can strip away everything else and Jesus can still be enough. That you don't have to have all of those things. I hope that you'll pursue them. But I want you to know this. If Jesus has saved you from your sin, you know everything you need to know to to lead somebody else to Christ. You know what? If you can tell me three things, who you were, what he did, and what he can do for somebody else, you've got everything you need to know to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. The last thing I would ever want to have happen is for some of you to fall prey to that false belief that you've got to be smart enough or educated enough to be able to lead somebody to Jesus. You can do it, and I wish you would. It would thrill your soul. Some of you have never led another, another person to the to Jesus Christ and you have no idea of the joy and the privilege that comes with having the opportunity to tell others about Christ it is addictive I hope that you'll get on board hope that you'll be a part of it but this morning I hope that we can dispel some of the concerns but before we do I got to take this jacket off I'm not sure what the heat set to in here somebody got those thermostats before I did I'm gonna tell y'all what happened some of y'all sweet ladies complain complain about being cold and y'all run me out of this place. I know it's cold when you get in. Y'all got to start just... Uh, we, gonna need, we, we need to have a pact, okay, in the wintertime. Let's all agree to be cold when we get into the worship service so that we don't have to sweat at the end of it. Can we all do that? Just make a commitment, an agreement. Okay, I've got an amen. We'll set the heat to 65 next week. Um, <laughs> what we see here in Acts is the beginning of what is going to be Paul's pattern of ministry throughout the rest of the book. And in Paul's pattern of ministry, he basically does the same thing over and over and over again. He goes to a new place. He goes to the synagogue. He proclaims the good news of Jesus to the Jewish people who are gathered in that synagogue. Most of the time, they're not interested in hearing what he has to say. And so once he's done that, he then turns his attention to the Gentiles in those communities. Usually what then happens is somebody gets mad and they try to run him out of town. This is sort of Paul's pattern for ministry. And I want you to know that you can use a similar pattern for ministry in your own life so that you can communicate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those whom you encounter. And look, there's no better time than the holidays, right? You're going to wish somebody Merry Christmas over and over and over again. Guess what? It's pretty easy to twist that conversation from Merry Christmas to, oh, do you know whose birthday this is today? Throw somebody for a loop, you know, when they check you out and just say, well, happy birthday. Well, it's not my birthday. No, we're here to celebrate somebody else's. That might not be the best way, but it sounded kind of good at the time. What is Paul's pattern for ministry and how can you use Paul's pattern for ministry? The first thing is that you need to meet people where they are. Meet people where they are. Look, Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue. They had a pretty good idea about what was going to happen when they got there. you got to keep in mind, they were walking in and they were telling a story that was hard to believe. They were telling a story that was difficult for many people to fathom. They were pretty sure that when they got there, they weren't going to encounter throngs of people just running to them and wanting to hear the good news. But they went anyway. Folks, we've got to be willing to go to where people are. Paul and Barnabas didn't sit around and wait in Jerusalem or in Antioch and just hope that lost people, unbelievers would walk in. Instead, they went to where they were. You know, as a pastor, one of the challenges that I have is being evangelistic. Why? I don't know if y'all, I don't know what y'all think happens up here on a regular basis, but it's really rare that somebody comes and knocks on the door of the church and says, where is your pastor? I need somebody to lead me to Jesus today. 
Now, I wish that happened all the time, but y'all, it doesn't. I've got to go to the places where people are. If I'm going to have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, i got to go to the places where lost people are. Do you know where they are? They're not in the church. If we're going to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, then folks, we got to get out into the world. Some of you are sitting around praying that God's going to grow His church by bringing lost people in the doors. I'm telling you, unless you go to them, they're not coming here. Unless you invite them, why would they? They've got no reason to be here unless they've heard about the great things that God can do in their life. We've got to go to where they are. You can't always expect people to come to you. How many of you have family members like this? It's the holidays, right? How many of you have this? That family member that won't ever leave their house and come visit you, but they're mad if you don't go and visit them like three times between now and and, uh, January the 1st, right? uh, Show of hands. Some of you are sitting beside your mother-in-law. You're not about to raise your hand because you know. (laughs) Yeah, I see y'all. But we all have those, don't we? That person that's, that's going, well, are you going to come see me? And you're sitting around going, you know what? I, I've got like 47 kids and all these other things going on in my house. You live all by yourself. Why don't you come see me? Folks, we got to be careful that we don't have that attitude as it relates to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We've got to go to where people are. We can't just expect that they're going to show up. Why would they? They don't know what they're missing. But it's not just that we got to go to where they are. Watch this. You've got to meet people in their mess. When's the last time you were willing to get your hands dirty to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? When's the last time you were willing to go somewhere and cost yourself money to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? i got a friend that likes to get his hair cut, the same person every single time. Prices keep going up, keeps going to the same person. Complaining about the prices. Why, why are you going to that place? Because that person that cuts my hair needs Jesus. And I've been going there for three years now. And I've been sharing the gospel. And I'm going to keep going. And I'm praying that God is going to bring them to Christ. When's the last time you want to meet somebody in the middle of their mess? I almost went with a little bit more alliteration, but I didn't, you know, meet somebody in their mess to introduce them to the Messiah, but I didn't go that far. You know, it's, it's the holidays. I mean, if we're just being totally honest, here's what I really like to do. I like to build a fire in my fireplace, sit on my in my big leather chair, stare at all of the Christmas decorations that Angela has put up, Right? Have someone bring me cookies and enjoy a Christmas movie or a football game or whatever. I love to not be uncomfortable during the holidays. I would really like if it all worked out just the way that I want it to. And yet there's so much more at stake than my comfort. I've got to be willing to meet people in their mess. Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue. They went to the place where people were lost. These were their brothers and sisters, right? Ethnically speaking, these were people who were Jewish people. And they went to where they were, right in the middle of it. And they said, hey, you claim to be seeking for the Messiah. We've met him. What keeps you from meeting people where they are? I mean, seriously. Not just physically, they met, where they met them where they were physically, spiritually. What keeps you from meeting people where they are emotionally? 
like climbing down to where they are and meeting with them. Meet people where they are. That's what Paul did. The second thing, connect their story with God's story. And connect your story with God's story. Remember, history is God's story. That's why it's called history. That his is, is God. This is God's story. History is God's story. Paul reminds his listeners of that here in Acts 13. Now, we didn't read all of this, but let me just throw you some verses out. In verse 17, Acts 13, 17, uh, Paul says that God saved Israel from Egypt. So what he does is he, he recounts the history of Israel to all these Jewish believers. And he tells them all the places they've been. They've been in captivity in Israel. They've been in the wilderness wandering. Um, they've experienced the promised land. They were ruled by judges. And then Saul and David were their kings. And then ultimately Jesus came. Now this is the history of Israel. And he could have left it at that. But what, what Paul does is he closely connects the history of Israel with God's story. Here's the way he says it. He says, God saved Israel from Egypt. See, we can be real, real lackadaisical about our appreciation and understanding about God's actions in our lives and in the world around us. He says, you didn't just get out of Egypt. God delivered you out of Egypt. Verse 18, he says, God put up with you in the wilderness. Somebody said that God put them in a 40-year timeout. That's kind of what he did, but he didn't wipe them off the face of the planet. He put up with them. Verse 19, God gave them the promised land. Verse 20, God gave them their judges. Remember the book of Judges? All of those leaders and rulers, God gave them to them. That's what you see over and over and over again. The people did what they were going to do. They just lived their own crazy life. But God sent a deliverer or a judge. Verse 21 and 22, God gave them Saul and David as their king. So they asked for a king and God sent them Saul. And when Saul did everything that God said he was going to do, God sent them David to set everything right. The greatest king they would ever know. Then verse 23, God brought a Savior. Look what Saul or Paul does. He connects the dots from their deliverance from Egypt all the way to Jesus. He says the same God who delivered you from Egypt is delivering you from your sin by sending you Jesus Christ. Y'all, when we're going to share the good news of Christ with others, we need to do all that we can to connect their story with God's story. To help them to understand that they're where they are because God brought them here. Listen, this, here's what this means personally. This means that you're here today because God brought you here. Now, you may have some other motive for bringing you here. Maybe you were here for baptism today. Maybe you're just here because it's Thanksgiving and you felt like that's where you should be. Maybe you're here to satisfy your mom or your wife or your sister or whatever it might be. But here's what I want you to know. Regardless of why you are here at the surface level, God has so orchestrated the events of your life to bring you to this place today so that you could hear this message. This is a message that God has for you. And I know that because He has you in a place where you can hear it. It's a message He has for me. And I know that because He brought me to craft it and to write it and to preach it. And so he has to work me over with it before I even get to present it to y'all. But this is what God does. Your story is God's story because God is active in everyone's story. God is at work. 
Just because you refuse to acknowledge his activity in your life does not mean that he is inactive in your life. On Thursday morning, we woke up in our house and I did what I always do. I walked downstairs and I fixed coffee by fix. I poured it in the cup. I got my cup and I got Angela's cup and I brought it back upstairs to the bedroom. That's what I do every morning. And I walked downstairs and it was warm and cozy and I got the coffee and I walked back upstairs and I noticed, wow, when I, when I crested the steps, something felt very different. In other words, the big difference was it was warm and toasty downstairs and it was cold and frosty upstairs. The heat was not working. It was not a good situation. Now, my boys sleep, they share the bonus room in our house. If you know what a bonus room is, it's over the garage. Like, like every other bedroom is sort of up, 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 uh, up over the, the main story. The bonus room is over the garage. If I thought it was cold in my bedroom, over that garage, it was like, I don't know, six and a half degrees or something. It was cold. You know, I could have just ignored it. I could have denied it. I could have pretended like it wasn't true. I didn't really want to diagnose the problem and have to pay to have the heat repaired. Fortunately, by the way, a wonderful friend helped me and I didn't have to pay near as much as I would have otherwise. But I could have just pretended like it wasn't there. Just like you could pretend every morning you wake up that the heat didn't come on and warm you. That somehow or other just magically everything is just the way that you want. Y'all, some of you are going through your life pretending like God isn't there. You're going through your life pretending like it doesn't matter. The heat's not on. Everything feels awkward and weird and cold and bad. But rather than actually investigate the issue, you're just going to put the earplugs in and blinders on your eyes and pretend like everything's okay. Listen to me. It's just going to get colder and darker until you're willing to acknowledge your need. Until you're willing to acknowledge the existence of a God who loves you and has a plan for your life. Paul and Barnabas met these people where they were and he connected their story with God's story. And I want you to see that your story doesn't exist independent of God's activity in the world. He's brought you here because your personal story is God's purposeful story. You see, you think that you're just all sorts of accidents. That somehow or other none of these things work, but God's Purposes in your life interact with your personal experiences in such a way so that he can grab your attention and use you for his good purposes and save you and take you to be with him forever. Folks, if we're going to embrace this simple gospel message, then we got to be simple enough to understand that our personal story interacts with God's purposeful story and God has a purpose in our life. Number three this morning, you've got to share the gospel. You've got to share the gospel. Do you want to use Paul's pattern for ministry? This afternoon, we're going to go and, and, and knock on some doors. And I hope that you'll go with us. I really do. I'm really excited about this. I know it's kind of old-fashioned, right? For the record, some of you go, oh, we're going to knock on doors. Do people do that anymore? Eh, not too much, which is why we think it probably is going to matter. Right? Because we think that there are people out there that really just need to know that somebody cares enough to show up at their door. And offer them an invitation to come to church. You know, a whole lot of people say they would show up at church if somebody would just invite them. Here's an ugly thing. Y'all ready for this? Grab your seat because I'm going to say something unkind. If it's true that the majority of people would attend church if they were invited. And we're not busting at the seams every Sunday. 
I'm inclined to believe that a whole lot of y'all aren't inviting anybody to come with you. Now look, I, I know that not everybody shows up. I get it. I invite somebody every week and they don't often come. As a matter of fact, I invited somebody last week and she said, I don't think that your church could handle me. I said, oh, let me introduce you to some of our people. <laughs> like, you think you're messed up? You should come. These people are really messed up. I was just kidding. I didn't say that about all y'all, just some of you. Um, I know that they don't all show up, right? But how hard is it to just invite somebody to come? How hard? You can do this. You can do, you can. You can have the courage. One of our children looked at me this morning. You imagine the courage for a kid that's this tall to look at all this ugly and look up and say, Pastor Craig, is it okay if I come to your house? I said, you are always welcome in my house. Just show up. Just come on, we'll take you. Listen, if people that are this big can look at all this and say, can I come to your house? You can look at somebody and say, will you go with me to God's house? Would you come with me to church? You can do that. Share the gospel. Look, I want you to get to a place where you can do more than just invite somebody to church. I want you to get to a place where you can actually communicate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you that it's not as complicated as we sometimes make it out to be. Throughout the book of Acts, what happens is that sermons start differently all over the place. In Acts 2.15, Peter announces they're not drunk. This is how Peter starts his sermon in Acts 2.15. They aren't drunk. In Acts chapter 7, verse 2, Stephen begins his sermon by starting with Abraham. He goes all the way back to Abraham and he, he begins to paint a picture for all these Jewish people of what Abraham has done. In Acts 8.32, Philip begins with Isaiah. That's wild, right? This is what we do sometimes at Christmas. I begin right there and I talk about the promises that are to come. In Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill, where does Paul begin? Paul begins with, look at your idols. Paul stands up on Mars Hill and says, look around. You guys are worshiping everything except the one God who could save you. We have sermons throughout the book of Acts starting in all sorts of different places. But watch this. They start all over the place, but they always end in the same place. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Repent and be saved. Start where you are, but end with Jesus. Start where you are, but end with Jesus. Start the conversation with whatever. I mean, for goodness sakes, everybody should be talking about that Gamecock win last night, right? That's right. Y'all knew it was coming. Y'all knew it was coming, okay? I had to get it in. We don't have much to brag about as Gamecock fans, and so when we get it, and next Sunday we'll be bragging again, I'm sure. Um, again, I only get one shot. I got to take my shot. And all you Clemson fans, I'll probably have to, like, repent. But, but is it possible to begin a conversation about a football game and move it to Jesus? It, it actually is. It might be a little awkward. Weird transition. Did you see that game? Did you see that football game last night? Yeah. Are you going to get them to be at church in the morning? Right? I mean, uh, sure, right? I mean, we, we got to find a way. We, but, but start where you are, right? Hey, hey, let, you start with, with a buying a Christmas tree or a Christmas present. Sometimes, and this is no lie, sometimes I have an opportunity when I'm buying a gift for my wife. I buy her something, somebody says, who's this for? I say, it's my wife. And then I proceed to tell all the stories about her because she's so awesome. Inevitably, somebody will, and it's, you know, usually if you get something like there's a young girl at the cash register, she's like, oh, that is so sweet. 
You know? And I'm like, I am pretty amazing. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, I'm not, except for Jesus is enough. We can actually turn those conversations. Right? I can actually look at them and say, is there anything that I could pray for you today? Do you know that shifts a conversation just immediately? So you're buying these shoes. Who are these shoes for? They're for my daughter. What do you think about her? Eh, she's all right. You know, but my wife is so cool. Can I pray for you? Is there anything I could pray for you about today? Do you know that I, I never have anybody get mad at me when I ask that question? They never get mad. They don't always have something. Half the time they break down in tears and start confessing their whole life to me. And I have an opportunity to give them a little bit more information. Sometimes all I can do is hand them a gospel tract. But I can do something. Meet them where they are. But y'all, get to the gospel. Get to the gospel. Get to the gospel. Get to the gospel. Get there. In some way, shape, form, or fashion, get there. And if it's a long-standing relationship, be patient. But make sure you got a plan to get there. Are you the guy that's going to get your hair cut at the same place every single week? Maybe that you couldn't get there right away, but make sure you have a plan. Walk in with an invitation to church next time, and when you get ready to leave, just give it to them and do this. Make sure you tip. I'm actually being serious about that, right? It's important. Represent Jesus well so that when they hear the gospel, they go, these gospel people are something that, that maybe I need to be a part of. We have a relationship as a family with uh, a young woman, and not too long ago, um, uh, she looked at, at me and, and my boys and she said, and uh, just as sincere as she could be, we were on our way to do something for somebody. It's actually for somebody in a church. And I just made reference to the fact that's where we're headed. And, and she said, well, why are you doing that? I said, well, she, 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 are, are you getting paid? I said, no, I'm getting paid. Like this is somebody that we love and they need something done. And I've got these, these able-bodied young men that can get the job done. So we're going. And she, no lie, she looked at me and she said, why are you people so nice? She said, I mean, you and Angela and all the kids, why? And I smiled real big. I said, remember I've been inviting you to church, right? And she just dropped her head. Ugh. I said, this is why, because Jesus compels us forward. The gospel's enough. Y'all meet people where they are, but don't leave them there. Get to the gospel. Share it. I've got to tie this back to Acts 13. I just realized that if I'm not careful, I, I miss Acts 13. Right? This is what Paul did. He started there. And then what we read beginning in verse 36 is Paul's explanation of what the gospel is of Jesus coming and dying for their sins. Throughout the book of Acts, they start in all sorts of places, but they end with the gospel. Listen, let me give you this, this other little bit of encouragement. Don't let a bad start keep you from a powerful finish. Don't let a bad start keep you from a powerful finish. Y'all know anybody that failed out in their first semester of college but ended with good grades? Y'all ever seen that happen? I've seen it. Folks that show up in that first semester and have a terrible first semester and they get it all together. Some of you can tell the story of failing out and then going back and then finding success in life. Some of you know that. Some of you can tell me stories today of run-ins with the law at early ages, but of God redeeming you from that and setting your feet on the solid rock right now. Y'all can tell me that. Listen, I want to encourage you not to let a bad, a bad start keep you from a powerful finish. And the first thing I want to do that is about your life. 
Y'all, I don't care where you came from. I do when I say I don't care. I care. I, like in my heart, I, I, my heart breaks if you come from a bad place. But I don't care for this reason. It doesn't have to define where you end up. You say, my mama got pregnant. She wasn't married. She was young and I got nothing. And here's the story. I love you. But guess what? That doesn't have to define where you are when you're 40 or even when you're 18. You say, Craig, I, 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 I've got addiction issues. Okay, that's who you were. But it doesn't have to define with where you're going and where you're going to end up. Craig, I've got legal problems. Okay, but don't let a bad start rob you of a powerful finish. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to fix broken people. And if you're not broken, he's got nothing to offer you. But if you are messed up, he's got absolutely everything you need. But it's not just in your life. If you'll work up the courage to share the gospel. Let me encourage you not to let a bad start rob you of a powerful finish. Years and years ago, I cussed in a sermon. I accidentally, not on purpose. I didn't even know I did it. I, this is the truth. Many of you were here when that happened. Most of you didn't hear it. Some of you did because we later found a sermon, somebody's sermon notes. And in their notes, they wrote, did he just say, Broop. I had no idea. Like, no clue. I don't even know where, the, like, where it came from. It was in this crazy experience of me, like, extolling the goodness and the glory of God. And I just cursed. One of the things that as pastors we do is we go back and listen to our sermons. It's a painful experience. If you've ever listened to yourself on your answering machine or your voicemail, you know how horrible it must be for me to sit there and listen to my sermons. I've got this redneck twang. It just comes across. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to it in my office. And... Um, and I, I get to that part, and I went, like I'm working in the background, it's playing. I stopped, and I grabbed my mouse, and I paused, and I rewound it, and I hit play again. Whoa, okay. Third time, and about that time, Buster walks. I said, Buster, hey, hey, listen to this real quick. Play, and he just grinned real big. He said, oh, yeah, you said it. <laughs> Man. I said, what are, what are, what are we going to do? I mean, I, I, I can't believe I did this. Well, what we decided was that since I didn't know I did it, and since my, like other people that we asked didn't know, I said, well, look, we're going to edit that out of the online, and if, if, if anybody you know, asks about it, then, then we, I, I'll, I'll publicly apologize. But may, maybe it just nobody heard it. You know, it was real quick. Maybe nobody heard it, and, and, and you know, we'll, just, we'll just move on. Uh, like I say, in a month later, we find the sermon notes with uh, or that little thing in the part. Did he just say Buster Walt? He was so proud. I wish y'all could have been there. He walks in. He goes, look what I found. I said, you got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. But um, that's when, uh, when Luke Talbert, uh, Talbert family, who's in Latvia now serving with the International Mission Board, um, he was still here. And he, he was so kind to cut that clip out of the sermon and set it to background music um, so that he still has a copy of that. Do you have that? You do? Really? Does the whole staff have that now? Anyway, you, you have to look. So it's, there's this blackmail out there. Um, he, he set it to really suspenseful music, and it builds up, and then bam, it's there. I'm like, really, y'all? This is horrible. <laughs> y'all, we all mess up. Right? We, we all mess up. And we can allow our mistakes to define us. 
or we can move forward. And y'all, when, it, when we're trying to share the gospel, I hope that you won't mess up like I did in a sermon and, and, and you know, use foul language. But you might mess up. You might say something that, that's not theologically correct. You, you, you might mess up by just making it all sorts of awkward, right? You, you might mess up in 30 different ways or 100 different ways. Listen, don't allow that mistake to rob you of finishing with the gospel. It's okay if you mess up. Just get to the end. Get to the gospel. If you get lost in the journey, that's fine. Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite pastors, the late 19th century, so late 1800s in London. And Spurgeon said, every passage of Scripture leads to the gospel. He said, it's like the roads in England. You might have to jump hedge and ditch, but eventually you'll make it back to London. Folks, just get there. Share the gospel. And then finally this morning... Trust God for the results. I, I, I want to run all the way to the end of Acts chapter 13. So we're going to begin reading verse 47. So the Lord commanded, so they're, 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 they're speaking, they're gathered together, and, and when the Jews saw the crowds, they got angry and they began to argue. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, um, and they said, Look, we came and we spoke to you first. But since you won't listen, pick up in verse 27. For so the, or 40, 47, sorry. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you understand what they just did? Paul and Barnabas just looked at the Jews and said, We really aren't here for you anyway. Like, we came and we shared this message with you because you deserve to hear it. But we were pretty confident that when we got here, that God had a different plan for us. And we're here for the Gentiles. Well, when they heard that, all the Jews got really mad at this point, okay? This is a like, legitimate racial, ethnic strife, arguments and fights. But the Gentiles, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. These people said, wait, you mean there's salvation for us? And they began to glorify the, the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Folks, things get bad there in this place. And what did Paul and Barnabas do? They just leave. They just leave. Sometimes the most faithful thing you can do is walk away. Paul and Barnabas had incited a riot. But here's what they decided they were going to do. They were going to trust God for the results. They had gone and they proclaimed the good news. They had done the work they could do. But it became obvious that in this place they were no longer welcome. And so they did this. They, they shook the dust off their robes, which is a symbolic way of saying... I've done all I can do. I'm basically washing my hands. I, I'm leaving your dust with you and I'm going to the next place. Folks, oftentimes the most faithful thing you can do is to talk to Jesus about somebody rather than talking to somebody about Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you not to share the gospel, so don't walk out here saying that, but... There's some people in your life where you've tried 
You've, you, you've tried to tell them about Jesus. You've tried to invite them to church. And they're just not interested in hearing it. And every time. So Thanksgiving dinner is coming up. And you're sitting there and you're already nervous about how you're going to handle all this, aren't you? Because you know it's going to come up. And they're going to be angry because you've invited and you've asked. And they just don't want to hear it anymore. Listen to me. In those particular situations, I want you to trust God for the results. I want you to trust Him. And I want you to trust Him by praying to Him. You say, I've been trying to beat it into their heads. And I'm here to tell you that that's not your responsibility to beat it into their heads. You share the good news. You share the hope. You love them. Like extensively, expensively, lavishly. But then you go to Jesus on their behalf. Oh mercy, how different might our world be if some people, probably some of you, Spend as much time begging Jesus to save your loved ones, loved ones as you do arguing with your loved ones to accept Jesus. Wow. What would it look like if you just committed to praying? Folks, I want you to know this. This is going to go up here on the screen because I want you to write it down. It's very simple. You can trust Him. Four words. Four words. Three of them are three-letter words. Short sentence. You can trust Him. You can. I want you to trust Him. Oh, some of you have stopped trusting Jesus as it relates to sharing the gospel. You've stopped trusting Jesus as you're trying to win people to repentance. You've stopped trusting Jesus as you're trying to see people's lives transformed. And you've begun to rely upon your own strength and your own abilities, your own arguments. Y'all, Paul and Barnabas looked at these people and they shook the dust out of their robes and they said, we're going to walk away, but watch. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Here's what happened. Paul and Barnabas are basically like, look, we can't do anything else here. But the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that when Paul and Barnabas began to trust the Lord to handle it, he raised up other people to do it. God did his work. God's given you a responsibility. But the responsibility he's given to you is not for you to take his responsibility away. You go to him with your needs and trust him to handle them. You intercede on behalf of your friends and loved ones who need Christ. And you trust the Lord. You say, but I've tried. Y'all. I talked with somebody the other day who said, I've been praying for my spouse for 70 years. And God has finally worked. What? What? I won't do it and embarrass people, but y'all, I could have people stand up in this congregation and say, I prayed for 50 years and God worked. I prayed for 20 years and God worked. I've got some of you that can stand up and say, I had lost hope. I'd almost quit praying, but God worked. You can trust Him. 
Paul is the greatest theologian and missionary that the church has ever known or will ever know. And yet throughout the book of Acts, Paul's message is unbelievably simple. He may begin way over yonder, but he always gets it right back to the same place. He brings it all the way back around to what? Jesus is the promised Messiah. The promised Christ. The promised Savior. Repent and be saved. This morning my question is this. Will you be faithful? If you're a follower of Jesus here today, will you be faithful to proclaim the simple message of Jesus Christ? It's okay if you don't have all the answers. You've got the key. Will you be faithful to trust Him? Will you be faithful to meet people where they are? To try to connect their story with God's story? Look, you don't need a, 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 a fancy philosophy to be able to connect their story with God's story. It's really as simple as just reminding them that God brought you here on purpose. It's not an accident. Will you share the God, like actually share the gospel? What is it? That Jesus Christ lived. And died for your sins and rose again from the grave and desires to take your sins away and to save you. Will you share that simple gospel? Will you not be ashamed of that simple gospel? And then will you trust God with the results? Will you trust Him? Some of you need to trust Him with your life. It, it, it's, it's not just that you need to trust the Lord with the results of your ministry efforts. Some of you need to trust Him with your life. You made a mess out of it on your own. And, and look, some of you didn't make a mess out of it. Some of you were born into a mess. You've added to it, but some of you were born into a mess. Some of you experienced a mess that's not all of your own making. But you're still trying to do it all by yourself. And Jesus stands ready to save you. Paul and Barnabas spoke of a God who came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And who died and rose again. So that the sins of the world could be taken away. Here's what I'm trusting God for today. I'm trusting God to save one of you, two of you, some of you. I'm trusting God to work in some of your lives. You see, because if I'm being pretty transparent with you, sometimes I begin to believe that I've got to be just crafty enough, just smooth enough, just smart enough, preach just a good enough sermon so that the Lord could work in somebody's life. But every Sunday I have to step up and trust that God can take this, plain me, and do something supernaturally unbelievable. Because the gospel of Jesus is enough. I'm not sure what brought you here today on the surface level. 
But I know who brought you here today. Some of you have been brought here a lot lately. And you probably sit in your pew or in your chair every Sunday and just hold on to it white knuckled. Because you know that God has a purpose in bringing you to this place. I want you to come today and let me pray with you. I would love for you to come today if you don't know Jesus and let me introduce you to Christ. I would love today for you to finally trust Him. He brought you here with a purpose because He loves you. You can trust Him. Whatever it is, as we pray and sing, please stop resisting. Come today. Stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we just love you and praise you and thank you. We trust that you are enough and you are good. Work in our lives. Lord, for that one today. Maybe, Lord God, that one who's really messed up, but today needs everything to be put right. Lord God, I pray they'd trust you today. Father, perhaps for that family member who knows that they so desperately want to see that mother or brother or sister or son or daughter or grandchild come to Christ. God, maybe today would be the day they trust you enough to turn it over. Lord God, to stop arguing and fighting and just start praying and trusting. Lord, whatever it is, however it is that you're at work in lives today, I pray, Lord God, they'd surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing with us this morning.